You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Our family hasn't always been this close-knit, spiritually healthy, put-together, supermodel attractive, and all-around amazing. We were out of shape, broke, constantly sick. I became hypersensitive to yard work. Every time I tried, I just broke out in sweat. We were a mess. And worst of all was our spiritual life. We were spiritually dry. Spiritually dehydrated. Spiritually dead. Spiritual skeletons in a spiritual desert. But then we discovered something that changed everything. Oil of Obey. <laughs> what is Oil of Obey? Thanks to recent scientific breakthroughs that haven't fully been explained to us, we are making available, for the first time ever, a new line of topical and aromatic products that benefit not just your body, but your spirit as well. Spiritual essential oils. Pure, all-natural, therapeutic, empowering, purifying, moisturizing, gluten-free, naturalistically natural nutrient-nature oils for your whole soul. Prevent spiritual fatigue with concentration. This blend of essential oils distilled from skunk cabbage, steepwood root, and graveside flower concentrate will help you concentrate on your spiritual health like never before. Devotional time a little dry? Hydrate every soul in your house with Old Testament. We ground the pages of old unused bottles into a fine powder and added a touch of peppermint oil. Simply diffuse this scripture mixture and your whole family will be truly living and breathing God's word. Cinnamon is great for purification and protection against environmental threats. Administer a few drops to your skin and ungodly impulses are quickly replaced by a gentle tingling sensation. Act now and we'll throw in our proprietary Peace Now dispenser at no extra charge. <laughs> and consciousness. Eat it, drink it, diffuse it, cook with it, put it in your laundry, bathe in it, remove your blood and fill your veins with it. No, your soul. Now you can care for your soul the way nature intended, with the distilled oils of random shrubs and weeds from around the world. Oil of Obey Spiritual Essential Oil. Not just essential, reverential. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to have just something that would rekindle your soul by just rubbing it on your neck? That would be great. Well, we, I have followed several people who have done tremendous jobs in, in preaching. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Nick preached, and remember he had the alliteration of the Sons of Thunder, Sons of Blunder, and Sons of Wonder. Wonder. See, you remember it. It's two weeks already. And, and uh, so alliteration works, and it's great, and there are times where I feel, boy, I really understand that sons of wonder and, and I realize what God's done for me and, and then I realize that my life looks more like the sons of blunder um, and uh, I just kind of keep wrestling with all of that 
And then last week, last week, Justin uh, did a tremendous job, and, and he brought his idol up here. Is Ben here? Yeah. <laughs> ah, Ben. I mean, he brought his idol Ben up here. And, hey, Ben, why don't you come by? Uh, and uh, he, uh, remember, he, he showed us what it was like to be worshiping an idol and the, the unintended consequences of that. And... <laughs> Sorry. I was getting a little bit. But you know, one of the things that struck me, this, this won't be long, okay. uh, but one of the things that struck me was how caring Justin was. Remember when he took out that, that clip for his nose and he's, he told me, don't worry, I put this on at home, it didn't hurt and all that. I want to assure you that I didn't do that today. And so I would like you to, uh, you know, we, we, I think that it might... I'll give you a gift when it's over, okay? okay. So uh, I'm not sure that uh, you want to put this on your nose, but maybe we'll we'll figure something else. Maybe maybe your finger. <laughs> and uh, so if you would just put your finger in there. Oh, this, you can have this gift as mine to remind you. Don't volunteer too quickly. <laughs> Thank you very much. We. Um, so, Try this. Uh, we uh, so anyway. I, so I've struggled with. Okay, I've got somebody who does alliteration really well. Somebody who does illustrations really well. So I came up with an outline. So you'll ha- find your outline <laughs> in the bulletin, and uh, you're welcome to use that. Today we're going to be looking at Second Peter chapter one, and we're going to be realizing and seeing some of the things that God has given to us to enable us to live a life that is truly pleasing to him uh, through his own power and strength. Now, one of the things that I have grown up with is myopia. Uh, Myopia, or short-sightedness, has always been a struggle for me. I've been wearing glasses since I was a very young child. Most of my life, they were very thick. Uh, because of technology, they've gotten a lot thinner, but my eyesight is still bad. If I take my glasses off and I forget where they're at, I have to call my wife and, hey, you know, I can't find my glasses. It's kind of a touchy-feely thing. Um, but we, uh, I've struggled with that all my life. And it has its effects even today. My eyes have continued to get a little bit worse. And so sometimes I can't see real well. I appreciate the light here. I've, I've come into some churches where I preach, and I can't see the text. And, in fact, one time I had to have somebody read it for me. Uh, so spirit, uh, myopia is something that I struggle with, with some other issues of eyesight. But Peter is telling us that it's possible not to just struggle with physical myopia, the inability to see at a distance, Uh, only see something clearly close up. But we can also do that spiritually and struggling with spiritual myopia. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. We're going to ask the question. Uh, I hope we have the right... I I can't see the slide. So anyway, that uh, how do you correct spiritual myopia? Physical myopia, you correct it with glasses. Spiritual myopia, how do you correct spiritual myopia? Well, first of all, I believe that you can uh, correct spiritual myopia by remembering your privileged state. And if you're filling in the blanks, privileged state. Your 
the reality of who you are in Christ. It, it goes back to uh, Nick's uh, Sons of Wonder, uh, who we are in Christ. Your salvation is by grace through faith, and it is a privileged state that's enjoyed by all who are born again, by all who have trusted in Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Simon Peter, a slave and, a, and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with your, with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The term that is translated equal privilege is an important one because it really emphasized, in fact, in Greek, what the, the Greek people, as they wrote that, what it was used quite often for was immigrants who came into a country and received full citizenship with all of its rights and privileges of a citizen that had been born in that city or state or wherever it might be. And it's somebody who has come in and has received the privileges of being a citizen. And so Paul, uh, Peter's writing and he says, this we have, and he's writing to the entire church, and he says, we have the same privilege uh, of, of uh, the same faith. Now, why would he be writing that? It seems a little bit odd uh, that uh, faith was given to them and was given to the apostles and it was given to the people of that church. Why would he be saying, hey, the, why would he be emphasizing that? Well, it was because, and this is part of the reason why the letter was written, there was a lot of false teaching that was going on. And it was probably a bit too early for the Gnostic uh, argument to be fully blossomed, but there were parts of it here uh, in the text that indicate that there was this Gnostic teaching beginning uh, within the church. Now, the Gnostics, very quickly, uh, were those who felt that you had to have special knowledge. So, okay, you all are here, and you all think that you believe in Christ and, and all of that, but there's a, there's a special knowledge, and I can't teach you that knowledge. It's only for an elite few. And in fact, you'll only know it when you have it. So if you don't know that you have it, then you probably don't have it, and so therefore you're lost. It was that kind of teaching. Now it was much more complicated than that and all that, but that's where it came down to. And so what was happening with the people that Peter was writing to, the churches that he was writing to, they were beginning to believe that, and it began to separate each other in terms of those who have the knowledge, who don't have the knowledge, and those who are the elite and those who were the common Christians. And uh, and yet, in the book of Titus, I know they're not the same author, but uh, Paul writes this. He said, he saved us, God saved us, not because of righteousness, things that we had done, but because of the mercy, his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs of hope in eternal life. Notice there's nothing in there that talks about works, but one of the things that the Gnostics taught was that we have to earn our knowledge, we have to earn our salvation. As I've taught and I've preached and I've worked with military folk around the world, one of the things that I have taught them quite often 
is that uh, Satan is alive and well. He is always trying to trip you up. He is tenacious at doing this, but he's not real creative. And what I mean by that is that he tends to do the same thing over and over again. And one of the things that is true when you look at religions all over the world, all religions, all religions except Christianity teach that you have to be good enough to get into God's graces. God can be named all kinds of different names. Heaven can be all kinds of different places. But if you want to reach utopia, if you want to reach uh, glory, if you want to reach heaven, whatever that might be, then you have to work for it. You have to do certain things. And it's always different things, but it's always the idea of I have to work to become good enough so that God will say, ah, Mark, he's a good guy. And so I'm going to let you into heaven, whatever that might be for that particular read. And it's interesting that it's true all over the world. And whenever you find something that's true all over the world, then more likely than not, it's something that Satan is is working on. Because especially when Christianity is the only religion that doesn't rely on works. It doesn't trust in works. In fact, it tells you not to trust in works. Scripture tells us that we are to trust in Christ. So I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail here, very briefly, because our salvation is by grace through faith. It's a privileged relationship that we share. Notice in verse 2 it says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Again, he's fighting some of the Gnostic tendencies, and he's saying, hey, we have this special knowledge. And that special knowledge is not an academic knowledge. The way that he has phrased it and the words that he uses emphasizes the relationship. Uh, you all know that in, in Genesis, uh, quite often, God used the terms, he said, and Adam knew his wife, and they had a son or whoever, their children. Um, Knowledge can be academic, but knowledge can also be relational. And what Peter is talking about here is that relational knowledge that we have with living God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when Paul is writing, or when Peter's writing, he uses the term epigenosis, which is that relational idea. Now the rabbit trail is this. The rest of this message, the rest of this passage, will sound like work salvation if you're not careful. And what I want to be careful to do is to make sure that we're all coming at this passage at the same point, from the same point, from the same area, from the same knowledge. You see, salvation is not by works. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. It's not if I go to church enough, God will be happy with me. It's not if I'm baptized, I'm going to go to heaven. It's not if I memorize five verses today, God's happier with me today than he was yesterday and and all of that kind of thing. It's not a works righteousness, but instead it is by grace through faith. 
Um, so basically, there's two ways of salvation that the world looks at. One is by deeds, by works. And that's the idea that if I work hard enough, God will be pleased and he'll let me in. Now, a variation of that, very quickly, is, and I don't know who's come from what background, a lot of you I don't know yet, but uh, if you look at the Mormon church, many times what uh, I had a, a guy who was involved with our ministry and had grown tremendously in his walk with Christ. And yet, he, when he was leaving the military, he was going to go back to Mormonism because that was his background. And so I opened up his uh, scriptures that he had, and, and uh, I was trying to go through it, and, and finally I noticed that on the back uh, there was kind of a concordance there, and it talked about salvation. And salvation was on the basis that, yes, it's on basis of faith in Christ. So I thought, well, that's, that's good. And I point that out to him. But it also took, what it did is, when you trusted in Christ, everything that you had done from that point past has now been forgiven. Everything from this point on is up to you. And if you do not continue in a faith life that is perfect, then you can end up losing salvation or whatever. Uh, It has different versions of it. My point is, is that that's not Christianity. Christianity is that, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. Christianity says, hey, you can't do it on your own. Christianity, in fact, Jesus said, said this. In Matthew 5, 48, he tells us, some people came to him and said, hey, what do we have to do to be saved? And in Matthew 5.48, it's actually the end of the Beatitudes. And a lot of times people look at the Beatitudes, they think, this is what I have to do to be saved. I have to be kind and generous and, and all of that. And Jesus says, no, um, if you are going to do it according to works, if you're going to do it the way the rest of the world is doing it, then yes, you have to do works and the bar is perfection. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, You must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So that means if you slip up once, you're done. Now, I don't know about you, I've never been perfect. And, and the tendency is for me to immediately say, Well, nobody's perfect. And that's exactly the case. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can get into heaven by being good enough because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul says. So we have that reality. We have this super high bar that God doesn't lower. He doesn't grade on an average. He doesn't say, well, yeah, you were bad yesterday, but today you're, you're nice, so I like you today, tomorrow I may not, you know, whatever. There isn't that variation. Instead, he says, you, you have to be perfect. So if you're going to come to me by your own good deeds, you have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. So we can't come to him except in judgment. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, God made him, God the Father made him, Christ, who knew no sin, 
to be sin on our account so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when y'all, if you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you've received the forgiveness of your sins, but you've also received the righteousness of God. So now, because it's a, it's a, it's a statement, it's not your experience, you have come to him, you've trusted in him, he has given to you his righteousness, now you can come to him and meet that bar of perfection. And because you've trusted in him, you can enter into his presence. And we know at the end of our life, Paul talks about entering into the presence of, of Christ for all of eternity. And Christ said he's going to heaven to, to, uh, to make for us, build for us a home. And so I want to emphasize this. If you haven't done this, if this sounds new to you, please talk to me afterwards. Talk to Nick, uh, Matt. Uh, just f- make sure you get this right. Because if you're coming to Christ with the idea that, well, I, I'm good enough to get into heaven, and you're relying on your works, Jesus is going to say, no, I haven't known you. And then you have to take the punishment for your sin. Instead, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then he gives to you his righteousness, and there's no fear in what he has done. And we can enter into his presence with glory. So just kind of keep that in mind. Otherwise, the rest of this passage is going to sound just like every other religion in the world. Work hard, do this, and God will be happy with you. And I don't want you to hear that. So, the second point. Write your own progressive story. Sanctification. Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 7. We're going to work this through just very briefly. Um, his divine power has, has given or bestowed or endowed us with everything required to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that same word, the personal relational knowledge, who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you might share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. There's a lot there, and we don't have time to go through all of it. I would emphasize to you, uh, there is a book by Dr. David Jeremiah, called, I think it's called Everything We Need. Uh, it is a good book on this particular passage, 1 through 11, uh, an entire book on 11 verses. He's got a lot of stuff in there. It's not a deep theological book as much as a practical book on understanding everything that God has given to us. But we're going to touch on a few things today. We don't have a lot of time. But God has given to us everything we need. And when you begin to realize, okay, is there... Sometimes, I, well, I've been in situations where people have insisted that, well, you're not, you know, if you were really open to whatever, uh, God would be giving you so much more power. This happened to me when we were first entering into ministry. I had, uh, we had moved to Germany, and I was working, and, and one of the first weeks of ministry, I came down to to do some teaching, and there was a group of 
military folk there, and I had gotten a stiff neck. You know, it's one of those that just kind of come along and you don't know what you did, what happened, slept that wrong, whatever, but I had a stiff neck. And so it was very difficult to preach because I could hardly move or teach or whatever. And uh, one of the gals came up to me afterwards and said, you know, if you believed in hands-on healing, you'd be free from this. And uh, so we talked a little bit about that. I've been told if you only spoke in tongues, you would be free from this or whatever it might be. What Paul is, or what Peter's telling us is that if you've trusted in Christ, if you've made that transition, if you have received the righteousness of God, you now currently have everything that you need to live in godliness. Everything. There's not a second feeling, there's not anything, there's just, you got it. Why? Because the righteousness of God has been given to you, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, now dwells within you. Did you not know that you are the temple of God, Paul says? You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, which gives you then the power to live according to the righteousness of God. So God has not only declared you righteousness, then he has also given you the power to live in that righteousness. And so from that, Peter is saying, okay, those things are all true, guys. That's what you already have. Now I'm going to talk to you about some of the things that you can do to build this into something that is extremely fruitful and very fulfilling. Okay? So keep that in mind. This is not a a list of if you do these things, you'll get into heaven. Got it? So I'm trying to emphasize it. I'm overemphasizing it. I got it. But I think it's important to keep the two separate. It's interesting. He talks about the precious promises. Um, You have everything that you need. There's no oil of obey that you can just rub onto your neck. Uh, But you have already gotten everything that you need. We just need to implement it, use it. But sometimes we don't know what those are. William Randolph Hearst is said to have not only been the world's wealthiest person at the time, uh, but he also was a great art collector. And he collected art from all over the world. And he had a vault where a lot of it was stored. And one day he was doing some reading or whatever, and he saw this painting that he really wanted. He loved the painting, and he wanted have it. So he sent out his emissary to go find it and, and to bring it back and pay whatever needed to be paid, but bring it back to him because he just loved it. The emissary went out, spent time get, and then he came back and uh, he was asked, you know, did you, f- did you find out who owned it? Yes, I did. Uh, did you bring it to me? No, I didn't. Why? Because you already own it. <laughs> and uh, it was in his vault. And um, so sometimes we have promises that are made to us. We have we own something and we don't even realize it. And one of the things that God has said is that we have everything that we need. So we already own what we need to become more like Christ each day. So what I'd like to do is to, as uh, a little bit of a rabbit trail again, but in this idea, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to encourage you to write your own progressive story. Now, the term progressive intentionally was used because it has all kinds of other meanings now, politically and all that. But I think it's something that is an ongoing process that we are writing. We're writing each day that we make decisions. 
it sprouts, sorry for the uh, mixed metaphors here, but uh, sprouts with the, our personal relationship with Christ. When you came to the point where you personally put your faith in Christ and he gave to you his righteousness and he gave to you his Holy Spirit and now you have that personal relationship with him, that's the beginning of your story. The story that I'm talking about anyway. And then it buds as you realize your calling. One of the things that he mentions, he says, by his divine power, I also pray that you will understand and uh, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated us with him in the places to honor at God of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. God has, has given to us this great power, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So not only has he given to us all the things that we need, the promises we need, but he's given us his power, and uh, that power is the same power that raised somebody from the dead. So it's quite powerful, obviously. And it's all things. God is able to make all grace abound to us, he says. Here Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.8, Always having all sufficiency in all things may have, uh, may have an abundance of every good work. You know, one of the things that happens is in Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, all that. Then in 11... It says that we have good works that have been prepared. We are his masterpiece, saved to do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. Most of the world, and this goes back to what I was saying about it, most of the world puts 11 before 8 and 9, or 8, 9, 10. puts 10 before 8 and 9. And uh, what they do is they say, okay, you work hard, you do the things that God wants you to do, and then you will have eternal life. Paul's saying, no, it's God gives you eternal life. And then from that, you can do the good works that he's called you to do. That's the process of this writing of our story. It sprouts with your personal relationship. It buds with you realizing your calling, who you are in Christ. Your, who are you to do? You know, one of the things I was, I was struck with is that we were with some chaplains, oh, was it last week, week before, uh, who had come from uh, global strike. So big deal deal. And so we come and we're talking to one of the chaplains and he was saying, you know, one of the important things to ask people now these days is what is your purpose in life? Because they can, they can be successful at all these different things and yet not feel a sense of purpose. God's given to us a sense of purpose. God has given to us, he has told us what our purpose is. And so as we, our, our story buds, we begin to realize our calling. It blossoms as you live in the promises. Um, sharing life with the divine, with the divine nature of God is what Peter says. This is God's purpose for you, is to share in the divine, his divine work. That's your purpose as a Christian. Um, one of the things that happens is that we tend to become a Christian, we're real excited about it, but then as time goes on, we get busy with life and all the different things that are going on, and we kind of tend to set it aside. 
And what Peter is doing here is he's getting ready to really emphasize the fact that we need to be careful not to do that. Instead, to go uh, and do the things that God has called us to do to fulfill our promise. Then our story flowers as you deepen your character. And that's where he's going next. In the very next verse, he says this, For this very reason, make every effort, due diligence, do the dil- do, diligently go after this, is what he's saying. If you want to have a full and meaningful, fruitful life, spiritually speaking, or whatever, this is what you must do. These are the things you must do in order to make it happen. The term diligence is the idea of steady in a, in application to business. Continue to do the same things that you set out to do on a consistent basis. Um, constraint in effort. So the, uh, um, to, to emphasize the fact that I'm going to keep working and moving this way. It's good to have habits, by the way. One of the things that habits do, and all of you who are in school know this, if, if you kind of set some some boundaries to your life, you're able to do the things you need to do so that you can have the freedom to do some extra things. And so, you know, if you if you set, I'm going to get up at a certain time every day, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to do this or do that. Uh, I have an article that I was reading that talked about the fact that when this girl first got to school, she was doing everything, and it was very chaotic, and after just a few weeks, she realized that she was becoming depressed because she wasn't feeling she was succeeding at anything. She was just busy doing a lot of things. And that's the way our life can be. If we lose sight of where we want to go, if we lose sight, we become myopic and we can only see very close in, then we become distracted, we become depressed, and uh, it can be a very difficult time. Teddy Roosevelt was one of the presidents of the United States. He's one of the four presidents up on Mount Rushmore. Uh, he uh, was a conservationist. He um, was a man's man. Uh, he was a tremendous figure. Teddy Roosevelt was the 29th president, and he believed in the strenuous life. Now, it's interesting because he came from a very wealthy background. And so he could have had a very easy life. Uh, and remember last week when we talked about the, you know, the idol who has its feet up, that resting uh, in him. He, um, he could have had a life like that. But he said this, I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life. He called upon the citizens of the United States to dare greatly. And he was inspiring he was a tremendous man. Uh, so he, he had that ability to really push and to live the life that was strenuous. But he did it himself. He didn't just tell others to do it. A good example of this was that, I don't know if you knew this, after he had become president, he was going to try to run again as president. And uh, he was giving a speech. It was one of these stump speeches. And he had gotten out and he was preaching and as he was preaching, somebody, a shot rang out in the crowd. And he stopped, he paused a moment, and he settled the, the audience down. And he said, I don't know if you really understand, 
but I have been shot. And so um, he said that uh, as I stand here, I realize that the bullet has gone through and into my chest. Um, so my message that I was going to share with you will probably not be as long as I had originally intended. And then he went on, and he spoke for another 90 minutes. Uh, he was a man who was of great strength because he lived the strenuous life. Just to kind of finish that quick story, the bullet went through his glass cases. Remember at Mount Rushmore, he has the glasses on. Uh, it went through his glass case through a number of notes that he had stuffed in his pocket and so that by the time it hit his chest it was going slow enough it just embedded itself but it didn't go into his heart and uh, for the rest of his life he had that bullet oh, they weren't able to remove it uh, but he lived a strenuous life was the point and he lived a life of, of uh, determination and Paul, Peter is writing and he's saying I want you to supplement your faith, the things that we talked about already, with these things. And if you do that, you will, we will find the answer in just a minute. Um, but he says, I want you to supplement your faith with goodness. Your goodness with knowledge. Knowledge, this is not the personal knowledge. This is academic knowledge. It's, it's knowledge of God, the, the understanding the word. It's one of the reasons why we encourage people to read the word and get into the word on a daily basis is because you're growing in your life. Then he says to uh, add to your knowledge self-control. This is where habits come in and the ability to do things in a routine which help you establish the things that you want. It gives you a sense of this is where I'm going. In order to get there, I need to practice this. I need to do this. I need to work on this, whatever it might be. It's having that long range. Admiral William McRaven uh, came to the University of Austin back in 2014, and he gave a commencement speech. And he told the people there, he said, if you want to change the world, the first thing you need to do is make your bed. And they got pretty much the same response. Uh, but he, actually, I think he's written a book with it now. But uh, the idea is that if you make your bed in the morning, it gives you a sense of accomplishment, which enables you to do the next thing. And if everything goes wrong, he says, at the end of the day, you come home, you realize, at least I accomplished that. And uh, it's that idea of, of habits are, can be helpful. Um, self-control with endurance. Add endurance to your self-control. Perseverance to stand up under is the idea of the endurance. But it's not a hang on by your, by your uh, fingernails. It's not a depressed, oh man, I can't stand this. But it's a sense of I'm going to, I'm going to persevere through this and I am going to succeed. I'm moving ahead. There isn't a sense of depression here. There's a sense of, of anticipation of where I'm going. And yes, it's hard right now, but I'm going to get there and I'm going to enjoy being there. It's that kind of an idea. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says this. Tell, tell us to rejoice in, it tells us to rejoice in our sufferings because, quote, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance proven character and character hope. 
he tells us to from endurance we are to add godliness. And I know we're moving pretty rapidly, but what does it mean to be godly? We usually think of you know old ladies with a bun. Uh, we think of hard taskmasters. We think of old men who are yelling at us all the time. It's not what godliness is. It's living life, expressing the words that God would use, expressing the care that God would give, expressing the uh, the concern for the world that God would have. It's everything who Christ was when he was here on earth. A tall order, for sure. Uh, Renee Zellwinger, uh, not known for Christianity, but she uh, was... Uh, hired to play Judy Garland. I haven't seen the movie. I understand it's out. But uh, Judy Garland. Now, the problem with being somebody who was so well-known, especially by my generation and older, is that everybody's going to be critical. Well, that's not how Judy would have sung it, or that's not how Judy would have stood. That's not how, you know, there's all the, the criticisms that go with that. So she, what she did in order to become Judy Garland is that she completely immersed herself in everything Judy. She read books on Judy Garland. She read articles. She watched movies. She watched videos. She watched television interviews. She, she uh, dressed like her and, and tra- kept trying to act like her. And in fact, when she played in the movie, as they were setting up the set, she would have to sit in the... Uh, makeup chair for two hours every day to become something that uh, an actress who looked like Judy Garland. Pretty pretty tough. But that's, in essence, what we need to do if we're going to become Christ-like, is that we have to immerse ourselves in everything Christ. We have to become like him, not for our salvation, the beginning, but in order to be what God has called us to be. Then to our godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection, love. Those are two different ideas. Brotherly affection is the same term that we get for Philadelphia, uh, a concern for those who are around you, your neighbors. First uh, Peter 1, verse 22 says, a fervent, um, practical caring of others is the idea in that one. And then the uh, at the end, love is agape, God's love. It's it's desiring the highest good for another person. Um, love ex- is expressed best, best, best through the death of Christ. And so when Christ died on the cross, that was the expression of the love that we are to have. Notice these characteristics, these character traits start with faith and end in God's love. And we need to grow in all of them if we are going to fulfill our calling, if we are going to live a life that is all that we want it to be. Finally, and very briefly, we want to anticipate the prodigal welcome, our glorification. We want to anticipate our prodigal welcome. Prodigal, we always think of in terms of the prodigal son, the guy who ran off with his wealth and he wasted it, he threw it away and with prostitutes and all the things that, you know, being drunk and whatever. And then he comes back and his father welcomes him back. The prodigal also means lavish, uh, overspending. And scripture is indicating here, Paul's indicating that our welcome into glory is going to be 
prodigal. It's going to be lavish. It's going to be worth it all, you might say. For these qualities, so if these qualities are yours and are increasing, progressing, that was what we were writing, we will, um, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. How many people in your Christian life you want to be useless and unfruitful? I mean, that's, that's your goal. Uh, that's what myopia is. Nobody wants to be that, but we can be. That's what Peter's saying. You could live your whole life and be useless and unfruitful. Still a Christian, but useless and unfruitful. And he's saying, don't do that. Instead, grow in these character qualities, character traits, so that we may, under, um, because of the, our knowledge, our personal knowledge again, of the Lord Jesus. So notice what is at stake. Is your life going to be successful? Or is it going to be wasted? Now the reality is that you can be a Christian, you can go to church, and you can do all the things you're supposed to do outwardly, and yet live a life that is fruitless and non-productive. You can become the President of the United States, and you can still be useless and non-productive in your spiritual life. You can be the most wealthy person in the whole world because you built this tremendous business, and yet be useless and unproductive spiritually. So the way not to be useless, the way to be fruitful and to be, uh, to, to be successful in this life is to have that long vision and to see what's out ahead and to live your life in building these character qualities on top of or in addition to your already sealed salvation state. So we want to do that. We want to encourage you to remember that uh, God didn't make us to be idols who put their feet up. Remember last week, poor Ben, you know, with all this stuff hanging on. And finally he gave him a chair and thought, oh, his arms must have really ached after that. But anyway, he, he sits him down and he puts his feet up. And, you know, that's the, that's the point that really struck me. Have I come become too comfortable in this life? Have I expected to be uh, free of all of that? I don't want to be living the strenuous life. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to be... I like to be comfortable. But is that not the condition of that, that, uh, that idol and the people who worshipped him? We will need to move on, but I think that one of the things that he emphasizes is, is the very fact that we have, um, you know, what are we anticipating? I'll just say this. What Peter's trying to do is to get you to see things long range. And at the very end, he's saying that we can expect a welcome that is prodigal life when we enter into glory if we've lived the life that is productive and fruitful. So as we talk about being you know, rekindled and redeveloping our spiritual life, 
I want to ask you one last question, and that is what kind of welcome do you anticipate as you come into glory? Have you even thought about it? If you have, what is it that you expect? And let's let's change some things. Let's bring in some habits. Let's get rid of some things in our life. Let's decide what's important so that we can look down the road and set a course and begin to write that story that will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because that's what we all want to hear as we enter in to our home in glory. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time, time in your word. I, it's uh, such a major section, and yet we've only really touched on it. I just pray that you would take it now, use it in our hearts, transform our thinking, keep us ever looking forward to the things that you have called us to do so that we might enter into your presence uh, in a very exciting and warm welcome that we anticipate. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.